Coming up this week, off-screen... Michael Keaton steps into the spotlight. Antonio Banderas leads the 33. Harvey Keitel and Michael Caine ponder youth. Michael Bay goes on for 13 hours. It's a race to the moon to capture the flag. And Robert De Niro is a dirty grandpa. All this coming more, off-screen. This is... This is off-screen. Off-screen. the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. I'm Case Allen. Oh, talk about it, Ron Burgundy. <laughs> so, shall we uh, shall we start with uh, with Mr. Bay this week, then? Mr. Bay, that's what he likes to be called. Mr. Bay is going to start off a very interesting week, I think, with uh, 13 Hours, which seems to be the first time in, in, in recent memory that he's made a film aimed, I think, at grown-ups. It's his grown-up, I want an Oscar film. It is, and yeah. he has he's not gotten that Oscar nom, strangely. Although this really would work on your DVD shelf, besides Lone Survivor and... Uh, and uh, Lone Survivor, what's the other one? Oh, American, American Sniper. Sniper. American yeah. Sniper. That's the Clint Eastwood one. That actually did yeah. get some Oscar noms. Eh? That, that did get <laughs> some Oscar noms, yeah. So what you have here is, is 13 hours subtitle, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, which makes it sound like an airport novel, as we previously yeah. said. <laughs> and this takes place on September the 11th in Benghazi, and this is 2013, I believe? Uh, roundabout, yeah. And uh, the idea is that uh, the uh, Islamic militants uh, besieged the American diplomatic uh, compound. The US ambassador was killed as a result. First US ambassador to be killed in, I think, 30 years at that point. Really? It's true, and uh, it, the uh, the fate of everyone involved was left in the hands of six private military contractors who had to defy orders in order to save the day. We have a clip. Thinking about my girls, man. Thinking, what would they say about me? He died in a place he didn't need to be. In a battle over something he doesn't understand. In a country that meant nothing to him. Every time I go home to Becky and those girls, I think this is it. I'm gonna stay. And then something happens and I end up back here. Why is that? Why can't I go home? Why can't I go home and just stay there? John Krasinski there. Did oh, you ever man. think you'd see John Krasinski, A, in a Michael Bay movie, or B, this ripped? Because nope. abs. <laughs> yeah, abs and guns. Where's the gun show? It, exactly. Yeah. It is in John Krasinski's trailer, it seems. <laughs> so, um, this is, for one thing, first and foremost, it's a surprisingly apolitical film. Like, you think, mm. on paper, you think, oh, Michael Bay is going to do the Benghazi movie. I think we all know that that's going to be idiotic. And then you see the film, like, oh, no, hang on. He's going for the American Sniper Lone Survivor. I want to win an Oscar stakes. Uh, but what he's doing is he's throwing a bit of that Black Hawk Down in magic in there, mm. he's, he's, which is also a, a Jay Brookheimer film, which is, of course, is, from yeah. where Michael Bay was introduced to us. And uh, and also, he's he's gone for a little bit more of that just nihilistic, in-the-thick-of-it combat that only Michael Bay can deliver on. Mm. And to be fair, though, you don't want any other director in the world 
to do that kind of thing besides Michael Bay. <laughs> he does it so well. Um, now, cast-wise, you, you actually get a fairly good run on this one. You get John Krasinski, who is an actor more than he's an action star, because he's never really done the action star thing before. I mean, I remember when news broke that he was doing this, it was it was kind of... It was kind of, yeah, it was a bit of a blindside, wasn't it? It came yeah. out of everywhere, isn't it? It did, yeah. And then you've got uh, James Badgedale, who's been in need he's, of... A, he's great. He's, he's yeah. great, isn't he? But he's been in need of a serious vehicle for about a decade. Yeah. Because he burst onto the scene, I think, ten years ago in 24. And yeah, was, he yeah. was. He was. He was a chase. I think in the third yeah. series of Twenty Four. He's one of those actors. Action, if, if you don't know his name, you will certainly know his face. Oh, it's that yeah. guy with it's the nose guy. from it's Iron Man from, Three. Yeah, Iron Man yeah. Three. Flight. Yeah, flight. Yeah, exactly. He he just is that he's, guy. He just dude, turns yeah. up and things. Is, is he? I don't know why I think he's in Wolf of Wall Street. I think it's because he's yeah. the slightly more Caucasian version of John Bernthal. That, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like they could play cousins in a movie. I would watch that. I, I would yeah. as well. What's in it? Battle uh, of the Scouts. Is it uh, Max Martini? Uh, Max Martini, who we that's know is Herc Hansen from Episode Room, who gets to basically dust off all of his sort of combat acting from the unit, which mm. he did for years. Yeah. He And he's just effortlessly sort of cool and a lot of fun in it. You also get as well, oh, what is his name? Paolo, Paolo, it escapes me. Oh, from, from Orange is the New Black. The guy from yeah. Orange is the New Black, and his name is pa- uh, Pablo Schreiber. Of course Pablo it is, Pablo Schreiber yeah. plays Pornstash in Orange is the New Black. Yeah. And he is effectively with the comic relief of the team, but not at the extent of the drama. He's one of mm. those really well, 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 sort of determined comic relief characters where it's it's timed very well so as to not take away from the the, the Black Hawk downness <laughs> of proceedings. Although if they had a Black Hawk at any point, it would have made the story somewhat easier. Uh, Michael Bay himself, of course, is really the star attraction here, and he's managed to rein it in a little bit. But at the same time, his ADD afflicted. Uh, you know, frenetically visually fidgeted sensibility yeah. kind of helps the film in the combat sense, which is to really just take you into the utter chaos of what's going on, but also in terms of the stuff before that, where it's more about the paranoia, it's more about the atmosphere, and it does work very well. Um, it, it is drenched in lens flare, and it is all oh, shaky yeah. cam as far as the flags, eye can see. American flags. Flags yeah, in slow motion. You, you sort of know what you're getting, but actually what you're getting here is something <laughs> a little bit more respectable than you you come to really expect from a Michael Bay film. Yeah. It is a little bit more grown up than I think we've we've come to expect from the director of Aerosmith's Falling in Love is Hard on the Knees, but uh, <laughs> which is a great song. Not but, a fantastic uh, video. But not a fantastic no. video. No. Well, the the last time we tried to do like a like a grown up thriller, what film was that, Van? We mean Pain and Gain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, enough said about that. But actually, it did surprise me. I was taken aback at, at how how different it was for a Michael Bay film. It's not entirely unjuvenile, <laughs> but you know what? It's less juvenile than normal. I've got to tell you about this bit of film news that, that came up uh, this morning, oh, yeah? which I, this? I think is fantastic. They have cast Michael Jackson for a movie. Have you heard about this? Yes, I have. It <laughs> is the greatest piece of casting I've ever heard. It is none other than... Would you like to announce this one? Mr. Joseph Fiennes. Mr. Joseph Fiennes is going to play Michael Jackson. Do you know the story, though? Yeah, I do. And I know, the, is, I know the title. I know the title. Do you know the title of it? Yeah. Of it? They, yeah. The, the title. Uh, it is... Um, it's like... It is Michael, Marlon and Elizabeth. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. It's based on a Vanity Fair article about uh, after the September 11th attacks when Michael Jackson had uh, specifically asked Elizabeth Taylor and Marlon Brando to attend his Madison Square Garden concert, but then, of course, 9-11 saw all the air traffic shut down and they had to rent a car and drive to California. They apparently made it as far as Iowa. 
Um, and um, Elizabeth Taylor's friends have said this didn't happen. Yes, it has been denied that it's it happened. It's been kind of debunked. But, but the yeah. stories are that Marlon Brando kept making them pull over for food and that Elizabeth Taylor kept wanting to go shopping. That sounds legit, doesn't it? I mean, well, it sounds like you know, kind of caricatures themselves. Just put it this way, though. Brian Cox as Marlon Brando... Yeah. Stockard Channing as Elizabeth Taylor. Boom, That's great. I'm sold. I don't care if it's only a Sky Arts movie. Um, I'm sold right there. So, shall we uh, shall we take a look at uh, this week's box office top ten, then? Yeah, I think we better had. Number ten. The Danish Girl. It's plummeting out of there. You know, this will be gone by the time the Oscars actually roll around, won't it? Yeah, and people forget about him. <laughs> people forget about him. We'll never see Eddie Redmayne. He's a one-hit wonder, clearly. Until next January, <laughs> Until of next January. Yeah. New Year's Day, he'll be and, back. And every subsequent New Year's Day until this, the end of this time. This time he'll be a Holocaust survivor. <laughs> Be a, be a different Oscar-friendly tragedy next time. No, next next year he'll be a slave. That's what it is. That's what it'll be, that's yeah. That's what it is. Next Tw- 12 years of Redmayne. 12 years of Redmayne yep. next year, that's what Pouring it is. Up, yeah. uh, I like The Danish Girl, though, more than a lot of people did. I think a lot of people were quite snooty about it because there is the cynicism of, oh, it's Eddie Redmayne doing the Oscar thing again. However, I do think it's more about Alicia Vikander than it is Eddie Redmayne. And as an Alicia Vikander vehicle, not an Eddie Redmayne one, it's terrific. As an Eddie Redmayne vehicle... Well, it's a little bit lacking, but you know, it's it's still an interesting and engaging film, and it's still well acted because he is a great actor. He's he, just, he is. He yeah. is. It's just number nine, the fifth wave, new entry. Well, new entry, and apparently not going to be around for very long. But no, <laughs> yeah, um, it's another attempted franchise starter. Chloe Moretz is perfectly likable, isn't he? Yeah. But it is a non-starter. The first half is this really great, really intense and interesting alien invasion in the real world thriller, and then it's just a generic YA adaptation with a girl who just suddenly gains combat skills and there's a love triangle and. Uh, You've seen it before. You have seen it before. And I'm sorry, we just lived through all of the Hunger Games. I don't need another one. Don't want another one. Not interested. Number eight. The Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight, which, you know, it's hanging in there, despite being in no cinemas. Yeah. (laughs) Hateful Eight at eight, position eight. (laughs) Well, this thing, it, it is a stage play. And it, you know it is. It's Reservoir Dogs, Western Spin, great cast, best film Tarantino's done in a long while. His ego is still there for all to see <laughs> and revel in. But you know what? It, it's nowhere near as much of a chore as Inglorious was. I liked it. I found it a lot more likable than Django, and I thought the cast was terrific in it. You rolling your eyes at me there? Did you not like? Did you, it wasn't so much of an eye roll; it was an eyebrow raise. It was an eyebrow raise. Was. You're a fan yeah. of Django. Uh, yeah, I think me and most of the free world. Is, is that the case? Were you not a fan of Django? Not a fan. number seven. Room, room. Now you are a fan. I of this am a fan. I think we both are fans. We can agree. We are both fans of this one. I love Jacob Tremblay, and I thought he was excellent in it. Um, I think Brie Larson is excellent in it as well. Uh, Sean Bridger, uh, William H. William H. Macy. William H. Macy. Yeah. William H. Macy. See, a big big fan of the entire cast. I thought everyone was great, in it, actually. Um, but for me, the strength is in Emma O'Donoghue's writing and Lenny Abramson's claustrophobic but still quite insightful direction, I thought. It was a real compelling film, really interesting, superbly acted, I thought. Number six. Daddy's Home. Daddy's Home, Daddy's which home. apparently a lot of people didn't like. But you know what? A lot of people actually did. Including just, you. Yeah, including me. I thought it was hilarious. And I liked the inversion of, of Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg, where the straight man's now playing the funny man, the funny man's now playing the straight man. Works for me. I laughed. There were some violent, visceral laughs in it. <laughs> What's not to like? That's all you need. Exactly. I mean, it's, not, it's not out to win SAG awards, you know. It's, it's just there to be laughed at. It's a 
comedy. You know, we're not saving the manatees here. <laughs> That's it. You show up, you pay your money, you sit your ass down, you laugh. That's it. Has, has, has there been a manatee-saving film yet? I don't know. It's a line from Boiler Room when Ben Affleck says, look, we're not saving the manatees here. <laughs> With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. I love that girl guitar riff every time. It's awesome, it's awesome, isn't, awesome it? Yeah. isn't it? So, uh, okay, we should talk about the. We've got to p- plug the podcast because yes. obviously we can, we can never fit everything into the show. We are but two um, men. We are but two men, yes. and we're only human. We're, yeah, we're only human. Well, speak for yourself. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm part manatee. But <laughs> somebody save <laughs> somebody save me. Um, so obviously we have to fit things into the podcast extras, which come after the end credits on the podcast edition. So pop along to onscreenfilm.com or go on Acast, iTunes, YouTube. YouTube, SoundCloud, Zencast, Podcaster, pick your poison. I think we're even on TuneIn, I think. My, my, I think we are. Yeah, yeah. The Apple Watch occasionally tells me that I'm on, which is which is nice. But uh, be so quite, you, quite disconcerting. It is kind of disconcerting. You, you are now on. I, it says you are now on. You are on. Yeah. So, yeah, go on there, download the podcast, listen to it in your own free time, mm, and, get, and get extra bits at the end, including your moment of cage, which we're yes. very proud of. Yes, of course so, we are. So uh, we have also got the January film quiz. That's on there. If you've got mm. it on screen film. Com. In the feature section is the January film quiz. Are you Quiz Pratt or John Kwasinski? Uh... We are so very proud of those <laughs> we films. But of course, Case comes up with the questions, so they're all pretty good questions. Oh, thanks, um, and, yeah, well, well, I have faith in your, I've, your I've quizzing been doing it for skills. A while. Your quiz yeah. skills are unmatched, it's true. That, um, I would say that, yeah. Competition-wise, you're going to love what we've got on the competition section. At the what do we have? We're giving away Sicario on DVD. Oh, give me one. No, Just give me no, one. No, no, our terms and conditions expressly forbid uh, you getting one. What if I wear a disguise? Which... Would be useless anyway because I'm emailing in. Only, only if you do the Peter Griffin thing and you just put on a different <laughs> yeah. outfit for each, each email one, that yeah. you send in. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, you go to onscreenfilm.com, go in the competition section. Uh, currently, you can win copies of Sicario. There is, there's different stuff that comes up every single week. So go online, try, try your hand. Win yeah, some swag. Win some swag. Your life will be better for it. Yeah. And <laughs> I should stress that's not legally binding. Your life will not actually be better <laughs> yeah. for only a tiny, copy of Sicario. Asterisks. Yeah, it, it'll be marginally better for only a copy yeah. of Sicario. You'll finish it and be like, "Oh, Roger Deakins, he's great." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Y- your life will be better for knowing the majesty of Roger Deakins. And then you realise that he's never won an Oscar, so you'll be immediately. Is it his year? That's the question. Funnily enough, he is in the film news this week. Roger oh, Deakins yeah, yeah. has declared that film is dead. Dig- digital Stop. is the future. Film is dead, according to the cinematography cinematographer of No Country for Old Men, mm. of Skyfall, of Sicario. He has declared film is dead. But what does he know? He's not on an Oscar. <laughs> and that that is the yardstick, isn't it? Yeah. That, that's it. That's why we can never take anything Leo says seriously. He doesn't ever. know as much as so. Marissa Tomei or what was the rap group that won. What, what <laughs> I, was, they I was thinking Rosie Perez. Didn't Rosie Perez win an Oscar? I think she was nominated. I don't think she, she was nominated. Why? She's been good in everything. <laughs> <laughs> She's been good. Yeah. I ain't got anything against Marissa Tomei, but she has an Oscar and Leo doesn't. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but Roberto Benini has an Oscar and Leo doesn't. <laughs> yeah, don't listen to the Oscars, so, kids. <laughs> Speaking of things that will never win Oscars, let's talk about Dirty Grandpa then, which is the uh, the latest from director Dan Mazer, who uh, directed uh, I Give It a Year. 
Yeah. Back the, in 2013. Uh, Rafe Spall. Rafe Spall. Yeah, uh, Roseburn. Roseburn? And, and Anna Faris, yeah, yeah. And Anna Faris and Stephen Merchant's rom yeah. And Stephen Merchant was the best thing in the movie. And yes, this he was. is <laughs> This is the story of you've got a straight-laced uh, young man played by Zac Efron. Zephron. who is It's played by Zephron, who is uh, a young, up-and-coming corporate lawyer, a bit of a shill. And uh, when his grandmother dies, his, uh, his grandfather, played by Robert De Niro, sort of tricks him into going on what effectively turns out to be a boy's holiday so that he can sow his wild oats now that he and he and this is a quote is single for the first time in 40 years but of course you know for the young grandson this is also something of an awakening sort of a why don't you address your life you're not really happy why don't you have a look at what does make you happy and then fix yourself accordingly here's a clip you're in daytona beach Listen, we're just driving through Daytona Beach. We're en route to Jason, I don't know why you're there, but you'd better call me from your grandfather's house when you get there tonight, okay? Of course, baby. I love you so much. Marriage is hard. What the hot college girls text back? Grandpa, what are you texting him? I'm just texting him. What are you texting him? We'll meet him on. We'll meet you on the beach. Yeah. And I added the emoji with a wink and the tongue out. Yes, Robert De Niro knows what an emoji is. Knows what an emoji is. Yes, that's how, that's how you know it's a hip and cool one mm. for the young people. <laughs> So, is, is there a reference to, like, I don't know, Game of Thrones as well? There's, got to be, there's it, always a Game of yeah, Thrones always, reference. Yeah, always, yeah. So what you've got is this, um, the, the, the most fun that De Niro has been or had in years here. And he is he's having a good time. Fair play to him. Zac Efron just continues this mass campaign he's been on for a while now. I'm just, <laughs> look, I'm not a pretty face, but I do have abs. <laughs> Every film he's in this year. Every film now, abs, yeah. 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 Jason Manzoukas in there. Uh, no way. Adam Pally's in there. Uh, Aubrey Plaza's in there. And Aubrey Plaza is the best thing in the film. Like, hands down, yeah. Aubrey Plaza. So funny in this. And again, sort of playing against type a little bit, because you look at her role in the to-do list versus this. Yeah, and there is Parks a, and Rec. Or, yeah. Well, specifically the to-do list, because she's kind of an inexperienced bit of a prude oh, in that. So, yeah, and yeah. here, she's just an out-and-out. She's, she's a nymph in this. <laughs> and then you've got uh, Zoe Deutsch, who plays quite a compelling love interest. And then you've got Julianne Hoff, who managed to sort of send up her own sort of weird minor typecasting that she's got, because she does have kind of this church girl, good girl kind of an image in, yeah. in sort of musical films, really. And here she's got more of a sort of dark-hearted, standard Cameron Diaz rom-com <laughs> sort of bent to take. And it, it, it does, and it leads to a brilliant crescendo, which I quite liked, although weirdly reminded me of That's My Boy with Adam Sandler. But uh, but no, I did like it. It's, it's given this sort of fitting, uh, frenzied sense of direction, very frenetic, very sort of all over the place, skits Schizophrenic, anarchic. Um, the sort of Daytona Beach spring break-like setting is a little bit tried and tested. It's a little mm. bit trite, if you know what I mean. It doesn't allow you much in the way of anything new to no. really gain from it. But in the end, it mm. is just a platform for Zac Efron to play the straight man and Robert De Niro to just say some truly appalling yet hilarious things that you will feel absolutely ashamed of yourself for laughing at. And that's that's really what you take away from it. It's very predictable. Like you can predict beat for beat yeah, what's going on. Exactly what's going to happen. And there is this little cameo from uh, Danny Glover in there that just <laughs> you're, you're just mind blown that he's done it. He just likes being in films. I, th- I think he does. He yeah. did that sequel with uh, with uh, Danny Trejo, uh, Badasses. 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 The sequel to Badass is called 
badasses. I love What's that. The it's like Down on the Bayou or something. I, no <laughs> I see it on Netflix all I've the time. I've never seen it. I've, I've seen the first one. Um, but it's predictable. But you will laugh so much that you don't mind. I mean, in terms of its actual comedy, though, it is really crass. It is really juvenile. It's really offensive. Mm. But its heart is in the right place, and it is decent about it. It, it is... You know, nicely it's good okay. natured yeah. about it. Um, I, I would chalk it up as a win. It is something of an unlikely sort of like a comedic vehicle for Robert De Niro. Although, the thing you will take away from it more than anything is Aubrey Plaza. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen. And we're back. So, should we, uh, should we finish that top ten? Yes, let's yeah. do it right now. Let's do that. Let's, let's let's get that out of the way. Number five. Creed. Creed. It's so good, isn't it's it? It's so good. Like you, you don't expect like they can still make Rocky movies this yeah. good. Stallone is winning all the awards. I hope well. he does. I do think he deserves it. I mean, It'd be great. I, say, I mean, yeah. I like Christian Bale in the big short for best supporting, but I do think... I don't think he should have been nominated for it. No, I, I, the weird thing with that movie, we'll talk about it when we get to the yes. big short, uh, which I did get to, to see again. But, uh, but no, Creed. I, I like Creed. I like Michael B. Jordan in there. I think it's well-written. I think it's well-rounded. It is a reboot, sequel, everything all in one, and it does everything brilliantly. It hits every note perfectly for me. Number four. And speaking of which, The Big Shorts. Oh, The Big Shorts number four? It is. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Okay. So I got it's, to like, see it's like we planned it. Yeah, so I got to see it a second time, and uh, hilarious, laugh myself senses again. I think all the performances are great. I think the script is perfect in it. I think the tone is great. Yeah. I think the directorial style is so well judged. Adam McKay, really well suited. McKay, McKay, really well yeah. suited in that. I love all the little celebrity vignettes and the, the, the gags. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I really like that Christian Bale performance. That might be my favourite thing in the film. As, as much as showy is Ryan, as Ryan Gosling's one is it is all about Christian Bale in terms of emotional heft. I think that's more showy the Christian Bale one. You think it's, it's yeah, more showy? Absolutely. No, Ryan Gosling for me. Oh, Bale's playing Rain Man. <laughs> Come on. Number three. Star Wars The Force Awakens. It's, it's, it's falling, it's falling. I thought it was going to be number one for the rest of the year. I know, that would have been uh, nice if it was like number one. If, if it pulled a Brian Adams and was just number one for like half the next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's true. That would have been fantastic. I, I don't think it's going to, it's, it's not going to knock Avatar off. No, apparently it won't now. Which but... is, it's a shame, but. Hey, there's always episode eight. That's um, true, yeah. yeah. And we could always bring this back before. Yeah, they could, they could always well, like so. IMAX double billet. Yeah, you know, totally. stick Rogue One in the middle, it'd be all right. But say, like, I'm such a big fan of the Force Awakens. Yeah, I, I just love it. I, it's one of those. Ones I can't wait for it to hit Blu-ray. Do we have an announcement on that? Do we know it's coming? Uh, not yet. It's got to be. Got to be soon. <laughs> in a couple of months. I, I yeah. need that on my TV. I, yeah. I need. I need that. They, they, they will take it off the off the screens, and then it'll be on Blu-ray like two weeks later. Number two, Ride Along Two, <laughs> which I didn't laugh once. At. <laughs> I really didn't. Oh dear. I I am, I am the guy that defends Kevin Hart. Yeah, and, you are. Yeah, and to I, me, a lot. Yes, and I thought this was dreadful. It was so unfunny. It yeah. was so by the numbers. Those numbers always add up to two. But, um, but that first one cost... What like peanuts to make? Wasn't well, it? See, so it, it's, it. it's a sleeper hit for no money. Of in course, there's, yeah, of yeah. course, there's a franchise you made out of it. You've got Ice Cube, who's kind of the man of the moment. Really, he's yeah. coming off the back of Straight Outta Compton as well, in one sense. And it, it's understandable that you'd want to make a sequel out of it. But just please don't make any more because this isn't funny. The action isn't engaging. The story isn't interesting, and your characters, frankly, are annoying. No more, please. This ride ends here. Number one, The Revenant. Now this ride 
can carry on as long as he wants. We will stay in the wilderness. We'll fight off the bears. <laughs> this is this is the film that proves 4DX is an unnecessary sort of a thing. Yeah, I, I was there. I was, I was in That's the grave. It. I was in the grave, Leo. <laughs> exactly. You were clawing out that dirt with him. It's such an immersive, yeah. engaging, visceral film as well because you 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 feel all the the gore and the gristle with him in a strange yeah. way. It's so well made. And this is Emmanuel Lebeski's cinematography on this one, isn't it? It is. He's uh, yeah, reteamed with uh, Inuit too. In your eater, and yep. well, this is this is the one that do you think this could clean sweep the Oscars? Affected, there is a chance, faint chance. This I could think just I think it could it. if Birdman wasn't last year because it's it's never happened. It's never damn happened you in your eater and your conveyor belt like art. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got for next year? <laughs> yeah, what's he got for next year? Come out with a sci-fi film. Something next. Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> exactly. Not a sci-fi oh. film with Eddie Redmayne. Oh no, 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 no more Eddie Redmayne sci-fi films ever, please. But no, the Revenant is terrific, beautiful, haunting chilling, terrifying, wonderfully dramatic film with what I hope is the Oscar-winning performance from Leonardo DiCaprio. So, should we uh, should we do a, a film news piece before we, before we move just, on to the just next one? one? Oh, speaking of Ice Cube, have you heard this rumour? Ice What's Cube this? is being sought out to return for Triple X3. This... No, I've not heard that. That'd be, that'd be interesting. Yeah, because yeah. do the whole Highlander Endgame thing, yeah. you know, or Star Trek Generations. And... Well, I've heard that they're wanting to turn it into, like, a team. Like this a is team it. movie, yeah, because want... it works with a fast franchise. Well, exactly. Yeah. And then if, you know, Vin Diesel decides he wants to cop out again... Then you got, <clears throat> you got these people. Yeah. yeah, although I noticed they have retconned the reason he didn't do Triple X 2 now. But, uh, yeah, the, the reason they're now giving is not the reason that was actually known back then. But uh, Money. Lo- no, it wasn't even about was money. Not, no, it money. wasn't money. Money's the reason he didn't do Too Fast, Too Furious. Ah. The reason he didn't do Triple X 2 is because he didn't like the story he wanted. The other. They did two. And, and he's all about story and integrity, isn't he? No, no, they did it two scripts else. for Triple X 2. They had two writers really? write two scripts. Yeah. One was written by the guy who did the first movie, a guy named Rich Wilkes. It was going to be set in the Philippines and Asia and the rest yeah. of it, yeah. which notably is where this new one is currently set. Hmm. The, the other script they had made was State of the Union, and they and went they with State, State of the, the Union, Union, which yeah. Vin Diesel did not want to do. He, so. he certainly has some clout now, yeah. doesn't he? So they killed him off twice. Literally once in a short and then once in the actual film. And now he's back. And now he's back. So, speaking of coming back, we have The 33 to look at, which is the story based on the true story of the Chilean miners in 2011, I want to say 2010, 2011. It was a few years ago. It was a few years ago. Chilean miners, um, 33 of whom are trapped underground when their mine collapses. They are forced into what is effectively their break room. And they stay there for 69 days while efforts are made to reach them by digging through the gravel and the dirt to reach and Antonio Banderas, Lou Diamond Phillips, Oscar Nunez, and, well, the rest of them. Here's a clip. So, so we're okay. What do you mean we are okay? The ramp is blocked, Mario. There's no road. We, we, we have no way out. I am not ready to sit down there in the refuge and wait for help. Mario, my job is simple. I have a duty to the safety of these men. At this moment, the refuge is the safest place. You know me, Lucio. There is no way out until there is no way out. So this one is the answer to the diversity question of the Oscars this year. When everyone is bemoaning the fact that hashtag Oscars so white, uh, you then have this film, directed by a woman and featuring a cast 
none of whom are Chilean, noticeably. No. Um, you've got, well, actors that you otherwise quite respected putting on the worst Speedy Gonzalez accents you could find. Bob Gunton should be hanging his head in shame for the rest of his career. Um, you've got Gabriel Byrne, who you will lose so much respect for, it's unreal. And then Juliette Binoche, who is given a role yeah. only marginally less thankless than her role in Godzilla. And... <laughs> Yeah, this is so poor. I mean, to be fair, Antonio Banderas manages to inject a faint amount of class into it, but it is still this patronizingly schmaltzy, ham-fisted... Very dull, isn't it? It It is quite dull. And then you've got that James Horner score, and it's dreadful. James Horner, who won an... I know. I didn't know. I James, did not James know. Horner, because oh, James Horner obviously died in yeah. June last year, and he left behind three scores. And this is one of them. This is the second of those. There is one more to come after this. What is it? Do we I, know? I forget offhand what it is. This is his second. This is this is the the penultimate oh, no. one, and it is a score which veers between Zorro sequel and <laughs> the character scenes in a Michael Bay movie. Although noticeably not one as good as Thirteen Hours, and it's not a very good epitaph, is it? It's not a very good epitaph. It's really ill balanced and ill-timed. The timing on it is dreadful. And then you've got... You've just got this film which is just so woefully inept. Um, Lou Diamond Phillips, for example, he, he manages to put in a good performance, but he still hides it behind this ridiculous cartoonish Looney Tunes-like Speedy Gonzalez accent. Yeah. And that's kind of a problem. You've got this really by the numbers, and those numbers add up to 33, uh, this story which... This should be an Oscar film. Like, when we were having this conversation earlier... Yeah. If, look, it, if it was in, like, better hands. Yeah, you yeah. look at this story and think, that story on its own, concept alone, this is this is the film that cleans up the Oscars. That's it, yeah. Why, why are you giving us this Lifetime movie? Why? It could have been, like, the small underdog that people hmm. kind of rally behind, yeah. But then you've got, you know, Antonio Banderas, who, you know, because of his, his Spanish mystique, seems to have earned this reputation as this one-race-fits-all ethnic, yeah. which, you know, sort of one-size-fits-all ethnic actor who can just play... Because I think he's played an Arab now four times. Something um, like which, that. Which yeah. amuses the hell out of me yeah. as an Arab. <laughs> Arabs and cats, that's what he does. Yeah, Arabs yeah. and cats, that's what he plays. Um, and don't get wrong, he's the, the shining star of the film. Yeah. But having said that... He the gets rest, the most to do. Well, the rest of the yeah. film, though, is so dull that one shining star shows through quite a bit. Um, I mean, the women are so badly treated in this film yeah. uh, in terms of just a really odious level of scripting and this is this shares writers with Dallas Buyers Club and Devil's Double and you're like really? Yeah. Films that have been Oscar nominated <laughs> Exactly. Place, yeah. There's some real liberty taken with the actual events of the story particularly the whole classic wife and mistress angle if yeah. you remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got no emotional pathos because any emotional pathos is immediately rendered inert by its ham-fisted and cloy level of just pure cheese and schmaltz and and you know those. It those... was so saccharine, wasn't it? It was. Though, what was the line you told me? You you came out with earlier. Oh, it was. Uh, it's the heart of the mountain, and it's finally broken. Yeah, but you got to do it in the. It is the heart of the mountain, and it is finally yeah. broken. <laughs> exactly. It, it is just really tiresome and really predictable. By the end, and because it goes on for fifteen minutes past the two hours. Yeah. And you just think by the end of it, it's like, do you know what? I kind of just want to curl up in a cave or a mine and go to sleep. Mm. And if you could just leave me alone for 69 days, (laughs) it would be better than having sat through this film. No. 
No. Do not see this film. Do not ever see this film. I mean, wait for Channel 5 to put it on next week, because that's clearly where it's <laughs> at, destined. At, like, 20 past 3 in the afternoon. It yeah. is destined for there. That's yeah. exactly where Which this is Which is a shame, because it, it is a story that would have been fantastic in much better hands. In much better hands. George Clooney producing, Robert <laughs> Redford as the old miner. This could work. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back, we're dancing, we're lively, and we're going to look at Spotlight, which is, this is kind of the, the big talking point of this week, isn't it? It is, it is indeed. So this is based on the, the true story of the Boston Globe, who won a Pulitzer Prize for breaking the story of the conspiracy within the Catholic Church to basically cover up for paedophile priests. And these are the journalists who discovered this, who investigated it very thoroughly, as the film depicts, yeah. and uh, basically discovered there were 90 of them them in Boston. We have a clip. Guys, I'm really sorry. I am. I don't have any time to talk Mr. right now, McLeish, but if you call my assistant... We have reason to believe that there are allegations against as many as 87 priests in Boston. I can't talk to you about that. Does that number sound right to you? you got to be kidding me. I just told you I don't have time for this crap right Eric, now. how many priests did you settle? Robbie, you know, I can't tell you that. You're going to give me the names and the names of their victims. Are you threatening me? We've got two stories here. We've got a story about degenerate clergy... And we've got a story about a bunch of lawyers turning child abuse into a cottage industry. Now, which story do you want us to write? Because we're writing one of them. I love this film. I, yes, I know. Keaton. I know. You, you <laughs> yeah. love this as well, didn't you? Oh, I did. Yeah. Right. So this is directed by Todd McCarthy. Uh, Tom McCarthy. Sorry, Todd yeah. McCarthy is a writer for Variety. Um, sorry, Diff- different dude. <laughs> different one. Tom <laughs> McCarthy, who you know, brought us the Station Agent and that Adam uh, Sandler movie last it- year. Yeah, the cobbler, which I don't think is as bad as everybody says. It's not awful. It's pretty ropey, though. Mm -hmm. So this is what this is. This is this great mixture of Tom McCarthy's typically quaint and quintessentially indie style with this sort of flurried documentarian procedural sense of direction, and it it builds up to something really suspenseful, really thrilling, and really engaging. And you wouldn't expect it from. Effectively, this story. This is a story mm. of journalists locating sources, doing some interviews, doing research, doing and so doing much research. research. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And you think about films like All the President's Men. I mean, yeah. did, did you say it was All the President's Men with pedos, I believe was the term. That's what it is. <laughs> yes. And you think about things like All the President's Men and uh, Kill, Kill the Messenger from last year. And this is very much uh, sort of succeeding where Kill, uh, Kill the Messenger dropped the ball a few times in making the journalism aspect of it genuinely thrilling. Mm. This is quite an, in, kind of an aspirational tale for journalists, despite the fact that it doesn't glamorise journalism as a profession. And sort of central to that is this cast, um, which is so precisely, so well-crafted, well-chosen and well-picked. You've got Mark Ruffalo in there, who is dropping any of his sort of, you know, his his effortless cool that, that Mark Ruffalo yeah, has. Yeah, his character is not cool. He's not at all. He's kind of twitchy. Yeah, he's which kind is great. Of, yeah. yeah, I like it. And if you've ever, you ever seen the real guy, because there's pictures of Mark Ruffalo with the real guy. I've not seen the real guy. No. And uh, well, look I, that up. Calvin interviewed him. I think. <laughs> really? <laughs> Calvin did the press junket last week. Well, interviewed that's, that's him. The, thing. the actual real life journalists have been quite front and center with the marketing, which is admirable, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, so you've got the really twitchy. Mark Ruffalo performance, you've yeah. got Rachel McAdams doing what she always does, which is, you know what, I show up, I work, yeah. I'm just, done. Just being solid. Yeah. And great. You know, yeah. because, well, that's it. I mean, Rachel McAdams, as, as lovely as she is, is not a Baywatch girl. She's an actress. 
big difference. And we, we sorry, we have no Baywatch news for this oh, week. We should. You point can't that do your out. Baywatch. I'm, I'm really noise. sorry. I'm, I had the I had the clip queued up and everything just in case. Maybe next week. Like right up until recording, I was just praying <laughs> like something was going to come through Twitter. <laughs> come on, Dwayne. Come on. We, we know we have a release date though. We, we, we do have a release date oh, okay. now. It's, it's May 2017. Let's talk about Spotlight. Let's talk about Spotlight. <laughs> uh, Michael Keaton, who... He's great. He, he is the leader of Spotlight, of the small team. Of, of the team, yeah. the investigative team. And he and do you know what? He he feels like the leader of the cast as well in one sense, which is to say, does, yeah. I nearly won that Oscar last year, so you will now all bow to me. <laughs> and there is that feeling to it. There is just this really great supporting cast, though. So you've got, like, Liev Schreiber, uh, John Slattery. Yeah. Stanley Tucci. Stanley Tucci. I really like Stanley Tucci I like Sam Sushi in everything I've ever seen him in, including a Transformers film. That's very true, actually. Yeah. But what you say, what you've got then is you've got the cast who know where their strengths lie. They show up to this project, deliver literally those strengths, nothing more, nothing less. And what you've got are great components to a machine that turns perfectly. And, yeah. and that, that for me is it's all you great. need from this film. Although, I do think the unsung hero, now I have to learn, I haven't tried to learn how to pronounce this, so please forgive me, okay. is Masanobi Takayanagi, who is the cinematographer of this film. He was also the cinematographer on Out of the Furnace. And oh, for yeah. me, it is, Take- oh, I'm not going to say his name again. <laughs> it is the cinematographer and Stephen Carter, the production designer, working in tandem, who make it such a real, such a sort of uh, physical. Mm. Uh, There's some film. wonderful kind of like uh, almost uh, symmetrical shots to this, but like walking down hallways towards the camera. It, it is. It's, yeah. it's one of those very sort of. It is lined up perfectly. It is, that's yeah. it. it. We've lined it up. <laughs> now let the actors do their thing, and that's it for me. Brilliant production design, brilliant cinematography, but not overwhelming. So, no, perfectly subtle and perfectly well gauged. It feels so realistic and of the time as well. Because this is, it does. This is two thousand one, two thousand two. Yeah, it's, it makes it's just it feel pre, like another time, doesn't it? Pre nine eleven. Yeah, nine well, eleven happens in the middle of the film. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So this does feel like another time entirely. It feels mm. like a period piece, even though it's, it's fifteen years yeah. ago. Like Ke- Keaton's got a flip phone. Exactly, yeah. So I say it's a fascinating story of just absolutely horrible, horrible events that you will feel even worse knowing about. Yeah. Yet it's obs- you know, it, it's things that took place in the light of day yet were obscured. And the film we're told in the film at one point it was all there for us to see if we wanted to. We just didn't we just want to. Sure to yeah. And really poignant way of dealing with it. And Michael Keaton in particular, and Mark Ruffler. Mark Ruffler gets the big moment of yeah. I can't believe we're talking about he this. He gets a big kind of trailer rant yes he gets yeah. he gets the oscar clip is what it is yeah that's why he's been nominated that's it probably. he gets the oscar he, that's why he got nominated because he's the only one who has an oscar clip yeah and because they, they do like him he's been nominated three times now is he yeah and and felt all all good things as well yeah. yeah was one of them the kids are all right one of them that was his first one the second one was uh it was Foxcatcher. do you know that is the only mark ruffler film i've never seen the kids are all right you should totally watch it man. No, i should i no, should i, I really saw good. Foxcatcher. yeah because uh, i interviewed steve carell for that Oh, did you? Yeah. Did he have his fake nose? No, he didn't, sadly. What did you watch it? (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, no, this film ticks every box, you know, accordingly and with absolute gusto. It is an absolute belter of a thriller. And, I mean, I've heard it referred to as the best journalistic thriller since All the President's Men. I'm very much inclined to agree with that. I think it is an absolutely terrific film. I think everyone should see this. So, one quick piece of film news, then. Shall I I treat you to another one? Oh, yes, please. Okay, so... Oh, Avatar 2 has been delayed... 
Does anybody care anymore? No. <laughs> right, it's been delayed, according to James Cameron, for 12 months, although it doesn't have a new release date. Do you know when its original release date was going to be? Was it going to be when Episode Eight is now? Exactly. Yes. So it course, was going to be released in the slot that Star Wars has now been moved to. And conveniently, Avatar oh, 2 has been delayed, although it is now confirmed as the start of a new trilogy. So there is that to look forward well, that, to. That was confirmed quite a while ago. I, I know, but Cameron's yeah. being really big about it now. And James, please, go and go and make good films again. Leave the blue people I do, alone. I do want it to come out. I do want Avatar 2 to come out, because I wanted to come out and make like an ape the <laughs> box office return the first one. <laughs> Did. And you just be like, ah, right. Let's Rubbish. talk about let's talk about youth then. Which, yeah, sure. Uh, this is uh, this is uh, Paolo Sorrentino's uh, latest English language film. Mm. Did you see his last one, which was uh, uh, This Must Be the Place? No, but I saw his his last film, which is uh, The Great Beauty. Ah, that was that was his actual last film, wasn't yes. it? His last English language. Well, I've, I've not seen was... his last English language. All right, so this is uh, this is the story of uh, Fred and Mick, who are two elderly gentlemen. Fred is played by Michael Caine. Mick is played by Harvey Keitel. They are on holiday in the, this affluent, luxuriant Swiss Alps resort, and whilst they are there, they start to examine their life, their diminishing future, their their friendship. Uh, Keitel is working on... The, uh, he's a filmmaker. He's working on the script for what he believes is going to be his, and I quote, testament. Uh, Fred, meanwhile, Michael Caine is uh, being asked to return to work for a one-off concert for the Queen but doesn't want to do it because it would involve working for the first time without his his wife. And in the middle of all this as well, you have Michael Caine's uh, daughter, played by Rachel Weisz. Uh, her husband leaves her husband, boyfriend, husband or boyfriend, uh, leaves her, and he happens to be the son of Harvey Keitel, who has uh, decided to enter into a tryst with Paloma Faith, who shows up playing herself, and is every bit as irritating as you think she is. She's not in our clip, though. You've, you've lost me. Well, thankfully, she's not in our clip, so here you go. So the French called again. They really want to do that book with you, your memoirs, but they want the whole picture. They want your life, your work. What should I say? Tell them, uh... Tell them what? To forget me. Tell them that. I, I'm retired, I, I'm done with work and with life. Cut the crap. Your music conveyed surprising new emotions. Emotions can be overrated to me. So you've got this combination then of the the screen might, as it were, of Michael Caine and Harvey Keitel, and that's that's undeniably a sort of an enticing concept. And then you've got, of course, uh, Paolo Sorrentino. You think, okay, yeah, these three things it could be mm. quite a great combination. <clears throat> and what you get is a a film which stands in prestigious stead, but does so under the weight of a very cold and inaccessible film. Like you, you. Simply couldn't get the average Joe to to really like this film. I mean, it clocks in at just under two hours, but it makes you work for every minute of it. Feels longer. It really does. I mean, it's a very because it's it's all it's one solitary location. There are moments of great beauty in there. I don't deny that, but they are moments of very slow beauty, and they are moments of very cold and distant beauty. You you can't quite you won't laugh once because there's no humour to it, and, which is strange because you can actually compare it in 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 one sense to uh, the trip. Did you see the trip with the yeah, Steve and, Coogan and the and, second one as well, and the second one, the trip to, trip Italy. to Italy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, because that was a film as 
well as a series. Like it was edited into it a film. It was edited into a film in for, other countries. For the States, and, yeah. I think. Yeah. And what you've got, this is kind of like that, but sapped of any humour and just given a lot of navel gazing instead. And don't get me the cast are all brilliant. And uh, Jane Fonda turns up for this ex- sort of extended cameo. Mm. And even she's great in an extended cameo with this really awful wig. <laughs> and Rachel Weiss, very compelling in there. Michael Caine, who just can say nothing but be absolutely heartbreaking. And Harvey Keitel, who you're just kind of happy to see every time he's on, on, on screen. Yeah. I yeah. do like him when he just shows up. But this it, is, it's good to have a wolf there. That's it. This yeah. is one of those roles, though, which like, oh, Harvey, you dog. <laughs> what about um, uh, Paul, Paul Dano as well? And then you've got Paul Dano. Now, he's the most in- interesting character in one regard because you can't quite establish where you are with him at any point. There is a costume element to his character which comes into play later in the film which will mystify people who haven't been paying attention to that point. And if you have, you're you're still like, whoa. Um, That's it. The problem is that while Sorrentino remains one of the best art directors out there now, this kind of confirms after This Must Be The Place that... It's, it, he, his films are, I think, especially his English language ones, because I'm, I'm going on those, mm. are simply, they're too laboured, they're too self-important to really garner much real enjoyment on anything beyond a level of visual and craft. I mean, if, if you're a drama student, yes, you can watch the film, study it, and, and love the hell out of it. And if you're really into the visuals, yes. But if you're wanting to be engaged, if you're wanting to be entertained and enthralled, this is not the film for you. And it's a shame, given all the elements involved. Especially Michael Caine. Yeah, but he'll he'll do he'll do Jaws five, twenty. Well, yeah, because he'll, he'll need another mansion. That's um, it. Yeah, that's the quote, isn't it? But yeah, he's extremely open about it. Yeah, he said that, that, that's the quote. I, I I didn't see it, but I saw the house that it. Bought I, me, I saw the right? house that it paid, for. which is great. It's a great <laughs> quote. So uh, actually, you know, Alan Frank always has a great quote on Michael Caine. What is it? Which is uh, Michael Caine died in 1957, and no one no one remembered to tell him. But uh, every time his name comes up. So, um, film of the week. I think we can both agree on this one, actually, in one sense. The 33? Uh, Yes, the 33, clearly. Uh, Because I really want the 33 to be the... No. No. Um, Spotlight. I'm going with Spotlight. Absolutely. But I want to see it again now. Me too. I, I saw it. Why did I saw it yesterday. I would watch it today. Uh, see, that's the thing. I, I, I've seen the big short twice. I want to see Spotlight again now as well. Mm. Really enjoyed that. Next week's going to be interesting. Uh, next week's a film oh, I saw ages ago that I really loved. You know which one I I'm know talking exactly about. what it is. Uh, Trumbo is out next week. Uh, we've got Rams, which I confess I know very little about. Dad's Army is next week, mm. which, and a total confession, I have never seen a single episode of Dad's Army. Never, ever. To be fair, you didn't grow up in this country, so it's not... Yeah. There you go. So talk- Where was me? I've seen quite a lot. <laughs> I've also never seen a single episode of Morecambe and Wise. Oh, well, you spent Christmases in this country. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but Christmas, I'm usually watching Scrooged and oh, Bad, that's fair. Bad Santa. Yeah, and a very, you've got uh, Channel 4 when it's supposed yeah. to have Channel 5. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. You know what I mean. <laughs> uh, you see, we've also got the documentary Janice, Little Girl Blue, Janice Joplin there. Uh, we have Point Rebreak next week. <laughs> Pointless break. Pointless, pointless break. Pointless break. Or point re-break, or point break to pointy and breakier. <laughs> two point, yes. two break. Two break, yes. <laughs> One work. Two point, two break. And of course, Jack Black brings R.L. Stein to life. My childhood favourite author. I've heard quite good things about Goosebumps. Yeah. So have I, yeah. This, I'm looking forward to it. This looks like it could be something really interesting. So we've got all those to come and more next week yeah. off screen. This has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. 
Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Let's do some podcast extras then, oh, Mr. Why Rowan. not? Why not? So we, we've got a review to squeeze in, and I'm, I'm really sorry we didn't get to do this in the actual show proper because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the film, <laughs> and that's uh, Capture the Flag, which I don't know if you've seen in the adverts for. Is this quirky little Spanish um, Spanish made CG animated 3D film? Um, but it's it's one of those where it's been dubbed into English after the fact. Have you just got a Facebook post about Star Wars: The Force Awakens from our good friend Mr. Halford? Uh, yes, yes, so did I. So yeah. did I. That exactly that moment. <laughs> um, so the, we got there's a story whereby a showboating billionaire announces to the world deceitfully that the moon landings have all been faked and that he will prove it by venturing to the moon for real and planting his own actual flag there. This then causes the sly boots. Sly boots. This then causes uh, NASA and the U.S. government to uh, to leap into action themselves and race said billionaire, whose name is Richard Carson, to the moon in order to actually retrieve the real flag and thus prove to you know, the people of the Earth that he was lying, but also to then stop Carson from going through with his real plan, which is to mine the moon's supply of helium-3, which will provide unlimited energy and basically make him the de facto energy supplier of the planet Earth and thus give him ownership of the moon. Sounds like a wrong one. I'm not sure how that would actually work on a, in a legal sense, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not really thought about it. No. Technically, the moon is international waters, I believe. But, yeah, how can so, you just, can't you just like own a moon? You can't just claim international waters. <laughs> you can't like own I've a moon. I've seen the Martian. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen the Martian. Space pirate. Anyway, um, what you've also got is this family of, uh, well, you've got a grandfather and father who were or are astronauts. The grandfather is a sort of disgraced astronaut. The father is an up-and-coming astronaut who's going to be the commander of this moon mission. And then you've got the grandson, Mike. And the idea is grandfather and father are a stra- strange, 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 Mike wants to bring them all back together. And through a quirky twist of fate, Mike and his friend find themselves on the trapped on the sabotaged moon ship, on the sabotaged NASA ship, with Grandad, faced with no other choice but to go to the moon and beat Richard Carson to it. We have a clip. Can I ask, what are you two doing? Uh, but Grandpa, uh, what are you doing here? Have you gone crazy? You need to get out of here, now! What the heck did you do? Mission Control here. Mask, what are you doing in there, Captain? I was taking care of a couple of intruders when the hatch got locked. Frank, who's there? I found your son and his girlfriend inside the capsule. We've got two options. We go to the moon or we eject. As you do then. You go to the moon or you eject. Which do you think they pick? Oh, go to the moon? <laughs> of course, as you do. <laughs> so, um, this has uh, this kicks off from the get-go with this really engaging and surprisingly fun and energetic and yet well-conceived storyline. And it begins with, you know, a lot of this sort of revisionist history aspect of, oh, we went to the moon. And, and, mm. and it is kind of this, uh, it's rooted in a kind of reality and then given a wacky, goofy sensibility later on. But it all kind of works. It starts out with some really ropey dialogue, and you've got this animated style that seems to be based on Incredibles-era Pixar. 
because a lot of it all kind of looks like mm. The Incredibles with its cold, bleak hallways and, you know, uh, that yeah. 60s-inspired sort of visual. Um, although it's got these really awful vocal movements where they can't seem to animate a mouth to save their lives, although this may be a language barrier thing, although apparently the film was made in English, then, convert, then converted yeah. to Spanish, and then it's been converted back to English. Now, obviously, something has gotten lost in translation there because the, the mouths don't quite, don't quite work. Sync up. But once you get past that bit of animation and, and the ropey dialogue. It's actually pretty neat. Um, and there's some fun to be had. There's, there's some very likeable characters mm. in there. There's a, a little sister character who keeps wandering around all people asking if they're her granddad, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> uh, there are some absolutely hilarious sort of jabs at NASA and uh, sci-fi movies and, and even Stanley Kubrick at one point. Yeah, L- literally, told me about literally the man, not his work. There is a stab at Kubrick himself, which I thought was, He's been was dead great. Years. That's not fair. It's the sort Sort of film that I think would appeal very much to younger parents of younger kids. Mm. So, I mean, I, I'm a friend of mine is actually a bit of a space nerd, uh, Nigel, works at Curzon. Um, and I recommended this to him. Go and take your, four, your three or four year old kids, take them and see this. You will love it mm. because it's just that kind of that kind of fun. You'll, you'll that you get can, those like space jokes. Exactly. Yeah. You can get in on that. You can get in on the whole let, let's poke fun at NASA and uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's crack wise at Neil Armstrong. Things like <laughs> Like that, um, it's far from the norm that you've come to expect from these continental, you know, uh, post-translated animated sort of features. This is most certainly no Sammy a Turtle's Tale. If you know what I mean? Well, good. Or uh, what was the one t- Turtle Two Sammy's Trip Home or something? Was one called Reef? Oh, the reef was another one. That was, was that was another one. one. I will talk about another fish film when I when I finish with this. Actually, oh, yeah. Boy, oh, you're gonna love this. Can I, can I just ask about uh, the the bad guy of this? Yeah, is it meant to be Richard Branson? Well, I don't know. He's <sighs> just that his name is Richard Carson and he's a billionaire and he's going to space. There is that aspect, <laughs> although he has... has. Has he got like wavy blonde hair and a goatee? He has wavy blonde hair, but not a goatee. He does well, also. He is also made up to look like something of a cowboy type, uh, like Branson's an oil cowboy. billionaire. <laughs> Right. The funniest thing is that he has two uh, sort of minions. One of whom looks like Steve Jobs, and the other one looks like Bill Gates. Oh, that's that's great. Um, that's I thought that was kind of clever. Yeah. The Steve Jobs one even has the sneakers. It's it's the exact <laughs> Steve Jobs outfit. Is the is the has he, has, he, has he got like a like a roll neck? Yeah, the Isimiyaki roll neck yeah. and the uh, and the the pipe jeans yeah. and and the the sneakers. The sneakers. Yeah, the same exact you know sort of white. And uh, then Bill Gates lace. has got Bill Gates shirt and the glasses. Exactly. And I thought it was kind of a little clever Amazing. clever yeah. twist. It's one of those that you know no kids actually going to pick up on. But yeah, um, I did think it was uh, just a fun. 90 minute ride and I expect I expected nothing from it yeah and yeah I was I was really blown away by it. I thought actually yeah there's some great 3D effects in there too actually as well yeah. but it is it's just a ride it's just fun it's just fun yeah and I was actually surprised at how they had set out to make an actual film rather than a kid's film even it though sounds like there's quite a lot of content for the adults. It's a, and, even yeah. though it's an animated kids' film, they have made an actual film. It just happens to be animated. Yeah. And I thought, actually, that's, that's somewhat refreshing, I think, mm, it's nowadays. Good to see. But, uh, oh, a bit of film news we didn't get to cover in the show, and I really like this because we're talking about animation. Mm. Did you know you, The Asylum are moving into animation? I did hear about this, actually. So, yeah, The Asylum so did, are the yeah. studio who made the Sharknado movies and all the Mockbusters. All of our favourites. Exactly. They are now going into animation with the movie. Izzy's Way Home. Have you heard about this? No, but I can I can guess what it is. Right. It's, it's Finding Dory, isn't it? It, it is. It is literally that. Do you want to know who the voice cast are this, of this Finding Nemo-like epic? Who the voice cast are? Rosie O'Donnell. No. 
No, that's too highbrow. <laughs> I, I swear to God, that's too highbrow. <laughs> that's first time. <laughs> yeah, that, that who, really is. Who's voice cast? Right. Central character, Izzy. He's going to be voiced by... da 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 Tory Spelling. Oh, brilliant. And the male lead will be voiced by Joey Fatone. Oh, Joey Fat One. Joey Fat One. Joey Fat Joey One Fat from, one. from, from NSYNC. From NSYNC. Great. Yeah. So we've got that to look forward <laughs> to when the Asylum move into animation this next year. I think it's May it comes out. I've so. just seen some news. What have you got? What have you got? Jared Hess of uh, Napoleon Dynamite fame, all those quirky films, is yeah, yeah. Uh, also moving into animation. Is he? He is directing a Nicktoons movie featuring Rugrats and Ren and Stimpy. Oh, is this the crossover movie they were on about doing a while back? Yeah, but that, that is a good name. That is a good yeah. name. I said, let's have a look then, see if there's anything left in there, because loads in the film news. Um, oh, Spider-Man's going to be in IMAX, go figure. <laughs> uh, McGee is in talks to direct He-Man Masters of the Universe. Nobody wants to see that anyway, so let him have it. The Terminator Genesis sequel has been binned. Shocker. I know. Call me surprised. Oh, have you heard the title of the sequel to What We Do in the Shadows? Yeah, I love I this. I love this. Yeah. yeah. This is We're Wolves. I love yeah. that. We are wolves. We are we We are wolves. We apostrophe R E wolves. We're, werewolves, not swearwolves. Werewolves, not swells. The thing is, you know, if you try and hashtag we are we're wolves, yeah. it just says werewolves. It's a bit annoying. It didn't really, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's definitely like in tone with that lovely New Zealand sense of humour. It really it? is. I really like that. Uh, Robert Nepper is going to be a villain in Jack Reacher Never Go Back. I'm, I'm intrigued oh, I'm by intrigued. that. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed the first Jack Reacher. I'm, well, I'm glad one of us did. Did you not? Uh, no, it was that Home Alone bathroom sequence in the middle that I just mentally checked out at. Oh, but come on, Werner, Werner Herzog. There, there was that, but there was also the Spent fact 20 that years in a Siberian jail. Every single... <laughs> probably did. Every <laughs> single life. every single shot in that movie, uh, Tom Cruise is a different height. Yeah. Which I think is he hilarious. He's standing on like a yellow pages, standing on a milk crate. <laughs> the, he, there, is, there is one yeah, scene in that film very, in which yeah. he stood next very to uh, Rosamund Pike, Pike and he keeps shifting height. Yeah. She's it's, a tall lady. She, she clearly is. Uh, Robbie Amell's got an interesting film coming up. Uh, we, of course, know Robbie Amell from The Duff. Um, of course, and, 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 Flash, and The Flash. Yeah. He's the, the first Firestorm. The first one. And, I uh, like him, he's good. He is good. Uh, well, he's signed on to start in a post-apocalyptic sci-fi thriller from the creator of the Orphan Black TV series. Are you aware of that? I'm aware of the show, yeah. The, the I sh- the show, I, I've not really seen the show. Apparently it's huge. Uh, Cassie has seen it all. I've seen a couple episodes, and I've really, really enjoyed. I watched the pilot. I think about three years ago. She was in that Helen Mirren film, Woman in Gold. She yeah. was the young one, Tatiana Maslany, Maslany. I believe. Yeah. Uh, well, this is uh, Tony Elliott, who is the writer of Orphan Black. He's coming up with this sci-fi thriller called Ark. A R Q. Ark, which is set in a future in which all the world's oil has dried up um, and society is, you know, devolving overnight kind of a thing. And a young engineer finds himself in possession of a technology which can solve all the world's energy crisis. The only downside is it creates a time loop that traps he and his friends within the same day over and over. As they are attacked from all sides by nefarious forces who want the technology for themselves. Mm. Sounds kind of interesting. It does sound quite interesting. Yeah, but ARC, ARQ, I like that. I, I do like Robbie Amell. I think he needs a vehicle like that, so yeah. I, I think he needs a vehicle, or Absolutely. he could just light himself on fire and fly away. <laughs> but, uh, which is a nerdy joke which only Flash <laughs> fans will get, or Flaroverse fans. Flaro, yeah, I love that. I'm, I'm, t- I'm told it's called the Flaroverse, reliably by Mr. Calvin Brickett. Have you watched any, uh, is it out, the, the, the new one? Legends, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah. I watched I'm, I'm the very, pilot. I'm very, very, very intrigued. I watched the pilot last week, and uh, predictably enough, Wentworth Miller is the best thing in it. Oh, really? 
Well, yeah. Captain Cold, man, Captain yeah, Cold. Big fan of Captain Cold. Yeah. So uh, one last thing then, which is the Labyrinth rumoured sequel, is not a uh, uh, re- remake. Sorry, it was rumoured as yeah. a remake. It's not a remake. It's a sequel, it's a sequel. slash reboot. So it's going to be a reboot call. Mm. So kind of like Creed, really. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be not as good. Probably not as good, but it's going to be written by Nicole Perlman, who was uh, the co-writer Guardians. of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. She and James Gunn wrote that, mm. and uh, she's apparently a really big fan of it. A really big fan oh. of of Labyrinth, so her dream It's job. just quite strange timing, isn't it? Really? Well, apparently it had been in the works it's since been in the works 2014. For a, for a while. Yes. But uh, it just happens to have leaked a now, four, less yeah. than a fortnight after the death of David Bowie, which I think is really unfortunate timing. Mm. But uh, alas, timing is not everything. No. But uh, so I think that, that kind of kills us for another week, really. Kind of wraps us up, yeah. That kind of wraps us up nicely. nicely. It's all wrapped up in a neat little package, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I've got to watch me some classic Simpsons tonight. Oh, that's that's the one I wanted to say. Um, there is a moment in Capture the Flag where they do the Homer Simpson with the potato chips in space. Oh, when well, it's floating around. Yeah, do, 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 do. <laughs> and the ants as well. Exactly. They do that with, <laughs> well, I, think, I think, with M&M's. I was thinking about that episode today when you sent me that picture of Leonardo DiCaprio holding it was a Nickelodeon award or something and it, and it was green <laughs> yes. and I was like it's an animate carbon rod <laughs> <laughs> this inanimate carbon rod <laughs> and on that note here it is your moment of cage how could somebody misfile something what could be easier it's all alphabetical you just put it in the right file according to alphabetical order a, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z! Huh? That's all you have to do! Very good. You know your alphabet. I never misspelled anything! Not once! Not one time!